0: Hello and welcome back to Wind Your Neck In. After a short break, we're finally back going and 2021 starts off with a strong guest. I'm your host, Niall Annett, as always. And in this episode, I'm delighted to welcome British and Irish Lion, Irish International and Ulster Club Captain Ian Henderson for a chat. Hendy, thanks for jumping on, big fella. How are you keeping?
1: Great, Niall. Good to get finally catch up with you and um, finally get on this podcast.
0: Yeah, I know. You've obviously never heard of it before, but it is called wind your neck in. So the the usual question I ask anybody who is, well, Northern Irish in any way, shape or form, Phil Morrow was a cracking answer, but like in your life, how many times do you reckon you've been told to wind your neck in?
1: I don't know. Still living in Belfast here. Like you, <laughs> it comes across, as definitely one that um, that my that, that my family and, and my wife's side of the family would use quite a lot. So
0: I love it, and it's brilliant when you have like people on who um, who don't know the expression. They're like, "What does it mean? What does it mean?" It basically means you're being told to shut up or pipe down. Like you're you're talking too much or yeah, doing something yeah. being,
1: being over here, obviously. Um, we have so many different expressions that we use over here, and and you see people coming in. and My favorite when my favorite time when it gets used is when someone is new at the club and it could be a South African, and so they get told, "Shut up, wind your neck in," and they go, "What? What on earth are you talking about?" And yeah. then, and the expression on their face is priceless because yeah. they're obviously doing something or have said something that they need to wind their neck in about. Yeah, And then when you tell him to do that, then he go, what on earth? But you can is see in the process
0: that they're like, Are they, is he, is that positive or negative? Is that, I can't really work this <laughs> out, but, um, I, well, I've certainly been told it many times in my life, but it's great to have you on, man. I really appreciate you jumping on. I know you're a busy man now, a uh, family man, and you're on your way back from injury, which is great to see. But I suppose, you know, the content of the, of the, the podcast is mostly based around high performance and you're a perfect example of someone who, I mean, how do you phrase this has kind of turned their career into someone who's an extremely high performer, but we've known each other a long time, Hendy. And and in your early days, um, it, would it be fair to say you were running off a huge amount of natural and physical ability um, in terms of how you have turned your career around into being a British and Irish lion club captain for Ulster. When you allow yourself to reflect on that, how how do you see it?
1: I think I do think it's very funny. I, Will never shy away from the fact that I have had to change and I've had to adapt to become a professional rugby player. Because you know me, right from when I started out um, post schools rugby and and into like sort of the Ulster setup, if you want to call it that. There's no way that Ian Henderson could have survived as long as he has now without changing in some way, and probably. Um, and I think I'm definitely very thankful for the coaches at that time for seeing that in me and, and for sort of pushing that with me because because if they hadn't have done that it would have it, I wouldn't be where I am today. And um, I do I do think that going back to where I was then we've touched on it briefly before about how professionalism and and, and things we can always look back and say, Oh, you know, it game's way more professional than it was then. And you do hear people saying that. And it is a bit of an eye-rolling comment. But but I do I do think that that now the young guys that we see coming in now are prepping themselves to come in and, and perform the to top level from the from no age at all. And
2: yeah
1: a really good example and it was class the same, Dougie son, um, Nathan getting his first cap there the other week.
0: Yeah. Scary, by the way, though, isn't it? Like Dokie's son's now a player. And, and
1: did you did you hear the the weird stat around it? Um, no. Eleven years to the day that he was mascot for Ulster, they were playing the same team, Munster, and had finished the same scoreline. No and he got way. his first cap. We, 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 weird, like that's so weird. See, that
0: stuff freaks me out, though. That's like we're not in control of anything. There's there's a puppet master above us who's just controlling some stuff, and it freaks me out.
1: He just throws that in to be like, "Wonderful, notice this." <laughs>
0: And there's a handful of people going like, oh my God, the Illuminati are real.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. Like, Dougie's fresh fresh out of school. Young Dougie's fresh out of school. Neil looks definitely not fresh out of school. Um, <laughs> young Dougie's fresh out of school and he came in when he was 17 into the preseason with Ulster and didn't look a pick out of place. Like, yeah. if I look back and you threw thrown me in as a 17-year-old, I would have capitulated. I don't know what I would have done. Um and he he handled it. He didn't look a bit out of place, and he was like con- as a scrum half, and he playing a bit of ten, controlling boys, and um, making the calls, calling the shots from that sort of obviously uh, leadership role or, or a, yeah. like a, like a position as, as a general on the pitch. And yeah. that was probably one of the first times that I had t- actually really been blown away by how talented the young guys coming through are. And there's those those sorts of young guys are are currently at Ulster. So there's there's a whole letter them if you feel like they call them that and they're constantly impressing me and it's good it's so good for the for the, the whole system and it's good for the senior boys because they go jeepers look at him i need to get my act together and absolutely and they, the younger guys mightn't necessarily know that or understand the senior silica, but it, but it is a, but that's it's good it's a great place to be
0: yeah, you want those young boys driving those standards. Keeps us on our toes now that we're old boys, you know. But I think um, it's that training age. They've got this training age. They talk about training ages and strength and conditioning about how, like, you know, how many years you've been doing gym and how many years you've built up this training age at a professional level. And like, I'm not being funny, handy. Like, I reckon I, I reckon I could bench hundred kilos whenever I was in the Ulster Academy, and that was about it. And I know you weren't too dissimilar. You always had like this ridiculous strength from like your waist down, but the. the these guys are coming in and they're throwing around weights that are just unbelievable. Um do you think in any way it can affect their ability cuz cuz the point i ask right is i know you had this when you first came into the Ulster academy um it was actually touch and go whether you were going to pursue a career in rugby. You had this other side this university i think it was maths was it? Was it maths or
1: Yeah, well, at the time I was studying economics and finance, economics um, and finance, yeah. But it was definitely always a maths background of an interest. Always
0: maths, but you had that kind of like. I remember you thinking like, I'm not sure if this will be things going to work out. I'm actually probably going to prioritise my university, or. These kids are coming in with this amazing training training age. Their ability to, to success in rugby um, is is increased, definitely increased on where we were coming in. But is it affecting their ability to if and if and when rugby doesn't work out, or are they being given, particularly in Ulster, that opportunity to make sure they're balanced?
1: Um, I do think the the Ulster the guys managing the Ulster Academy definitely push that. They they say you have to have a good it's good a good life balance. Where I do think it comes in really handy too. Uh, RPI, we've got we've got more or less got a, a full time player develop PDO player development officer who yeah. is constantly there touching base with guys. And it might be university, it might be um, trade going and do a trade going and do a trade. And absolutely, I'd be the first person to say like university is not for everyone. Find what you enjoy and do it. Like don't absolutely. force yourself. And like I think probably especially in rugby circles coming out of decent schools you get forced down the university route and I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's right I'm a big believer in doing what you enjoy and and that, that again that probably stems back to similar to how I thought then like this rugby thing mightn't be for me if it doesn't work out and I'm not enjoying it and it doesn't go well Um, but I do think they've got a quite a good system set up to to good. ensure ensure that the young guys don't put all their eggs in one basket and don't yeah have these false ideas because the vast majority of academy players, not the vast majority, that could be wrong, definitely before that, have aspirations that they mightn't reach. To get given a sub academy position or an academy contract and assume that that's you made is com- is completely the wrong attitude. And if anything, that's probably the attitude of a player that won't make it in the academy. Um, yeah. if, if you're uh, a good, hardworking, Academy player well-rounded, trying to get work hard, not only in your playing game, but also outside of that socially as well. Yeah. It's 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 to me it's the all-rounders seem to seem to do better than, than people who put all their eggs in one basket and end up maybe more disappointed at the end of the line.
0: I agree. I think I was definitely an all eggs in one basket through the first kind of five years of my career. And I think the more I've diversed away from rugby. with the same focus and intent in rugby it definitely frees you up to just actually play better rugby probably probably just allows you to um not take it, not 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 let it build, build the pressure, build you down, and like and like it becomes it becomes life or death, and it's not, you know, like we're all gonna have to retire us too sooner, probably rather than later. Um, hopefully yeah. a couple more years in the tank yet, Andy, but you know, we're, it, it comes to everybody, and and I think that's that that's a really important you know point that you make there that the all-rounders, the people with perspective, the people with context in terms of rugby ending eventually, do seem to do better uh, in rugby and after it, but. Your education, you know, coming through the mighty Belfast Royal Academy, who, who, in fairness, got dusted up every year by us, uh, uh, Methley. Do you remember the year? I have to bring this up. I have to, i only bring it up because it's not rugby related, but do you remember putting Heaney's tooth through his gum? Michael yeah. Heaney, the Worcester Warrior player here now, a good friend of ours. I'll never forget it. I, I don't think I'd ever seen you angry in your life. And then you turned around and chinned him, and his tooth went through his gum.
1: That, that's it. Like, Genuinely, I don't think I've ever been as angry in in professional way <laughs> as I was then. And I don't, I can't remember the exact, I do remember having an overwhelming <laughs> anger. I'm like, you know me, I'm not an angry person. In fact, not I'm all, the exact opposite.
0: Um, <laughs> You're literally the most chilled out rugby player I've ever seen. And when you did it, like, because we'd met each other a couple of times before that, I was like, what, Heans, what have you done? Like, what have you done or said to annoy him? Because he's the most chilled out person on the planet.
1: The, the, I think it was probably the frustration of us being, I guess, about forty-five nil down at that stage, <laughs> um, and unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I am a, sometimes a wee bit of a sore loser.
0: Sometimes, sometimes you are. But in fairness, you you picked the big man to pick on, you picked Wee Haynes <laughs> and gave him a Dustin. But the reason I bring it up is uh, a, a great attachment to Belfast Royal Academy, but an equally close attention, uh, close uh, association, sorry, with. The amateur senior rugby club academy, which I have to say, like my club is Belfast Harlequins. You can say whatever you want. I have a real soft spot for academy, and I don't still talk
1: about you. You, my uh, every so often, Corms here, my brother. I go. Remember, Nyler told us whenever he retires, he's going to come back and play for us.
0: <laughs> well, if I if I guaranteed them a year, I might be cr- I might be even worse than I am now, or or, or <laughs> I don't know if the body will manage it. But I'll sl- I'll shut I'll slot in at a ten for the fours or something.
1: Yeah, I'm sure they would welcome you with open arms.
0: But I suppose I don't know why, right? I've got this real soft spot, and it probably is Cormsey, your brother Richard, and and you, um, because we were we were pretty close back when we were going to that academy, that uh, Ulster Academy system. But it's a proper rugby club, and and the reason I bring it up is I'm interested to know, like, what sort of environment that was for you as a young man to grow up in. You talked in other interviews about going there on a Saturday and watching your dad play and stuff, and I just wonder what sort of example that set for you in in terms of your love for rugby. I think pro-
1: probably to take a step back and look at it from the outside, it probably grew, grew a real competitive edge in me. Knowing the what where my dad played in my head at the time, my dad was playing at like Filippi could have been playing in the World Cup final when I was going to those games, yeah. and like knowing. And then my brothers, the eldest brother, Stuart at the time, going and playing for the first after school, and then Richard going and playing for the first. And I was still in school, and I was like, "Flip, that's." It was a natural pathway for me, and fortunately um, my last year I ended up going and playing and I've played in the first seconds and thirds for Academy um, all, awesome. in, all in that end that last block in 2010 before um, Ulster under 20s managed to get a hold of me um, but but fortunately like Ulster Ulster appreciate that at the minute and there are players like myself as of two years ago now I think I'm signed to Academy um, yeah. Will Addison is another example his Family are from Enniskillen, and he's signed Enniskillen Rugby Club, and it's great yeah, to fun. see that. Like, like, like those clubs that might necessarily get all the recognition or back at home over here. Like all, all the the top end smaller clubs or amateur club sides, yeah. Um, they, they, don't, they don't get to see that. Whereas it means a lot to me to be assigned to academy, and it's definitely when. The, when the program when I was playing international rugby and you're in a home fixture and the program says clubside academy like that means a lot to me like
0: absolutely
1: growing up playing for the minis family then Richard was captain for three years in a row there and as ex-president there's so much so much connections there and it definitely means a huge amount to have that affiliation and it's great I was actually in the gym this morning um, with the young academy hooker Tom Stewart who went through BRA and he unfortunately for him hasn't had the chance to play for academy just yet um but hopefully um,
0: he's lucky enough to do that
1: he, hopefully he will one day get get to play for for academy but he still would hold similar feelings and affiliations to the club too which is which is great to see and i think it, yeah. it definitely says something about the school and says something about the river the school
0: absolutely couldn't couldn't speak highly enough about about it as a rugby club Uh, good people and good people make good rugby clubs there's just no there's no hiding away from that and i think you know if we go slightly before that um hendy i I want to touch on something for context of how we know each other do you remember the first time you and i met i'll give you a clue it's not it's it's, yes exactly so
1: (laughs) so i knew you had there
0: yeah we we rock up to this ulster schools discus of it, he, like, is as, as, another,
1: guy, I, another guy who was a similar shape to Ross Kane?
0: yes yes it was I remember I know who you're talking about I can't remember I can't remember his name but we rock up and there's this absolute man child throwing the discus like like it's a like it's a frisbee um and that's the first time we met and i remember thinking at that stage what a lovely lovely dude like nice guy we meet we meet keep in touch through um ulster schools ulster rugby we played some some rugby together and then we meet in the academy right and this is the point of the academy where i want to i want to start this journey okay so we talked briefly before about your entrance into the academy you were humming an and on, you've talked before about how you said to your dad like listen what should I do? I kind of wanted to go overseas and do a degree, blah, blah, blah. Your dad convinces you to take that one year um out and, and give it a go. Okay. When you come into that Ulster Academy, let's talk about the the, the progression of you as a professional because we touched on it earlier and I think it's really important. What are some of the things within that first year that you struggled with or some of the things that you found that you had to really uh, lift your standards in terms of making this this one year worth it?
1: Um, I suppose... When I look back at it, um, I probably, underage prior to that, I hadn't played a lot of. I probably had a bit of a chip in my shoulder. I thought I should have. I think I was always, ter- ter- as you've already alluded to, terrible in the gym. So a lot of the academy training was based around the gym and performance and numbers. Mm. A lot of that I was awful, like hideous at. So what a bloody
0: good rugby player.
1: <laughs> but, but And that was probably a lot of, Towards the, my early academy days, that I had a lot of negative associations with. Like, mm. didn't I didn't didn't like gymming, um, and as you get in a lot of academies, there'd be a lot of big gymmers, and and I think probably turning that corner a wee bit. Don't get me wrong, I'm still not the very fan of gym now, but <laughs> but but, but, um, but I think at the time, Kev was there. Um, yeah,
0: Kev Geary, now strength edition coach Kev at Bristol.
1: Head head S at Bristol, and he. Yeah he probably put me through my paces a good bit and honestly I think it was probably one of the best things for me I think it was yeah. definitely definitely I needed to be needed to understand what the hard work side of things was I needed to understand the timekeeping because as you know like I would have been I would have been relaxed with that I would have been I, I was surprised you were on time today a wee bit scary I would have been um, wrong kit missing meetings all sorts of stuff that you don't want in a rugby player all all yeah. those things that, that that make a poor professional. I had, I'm sure here you can you can take a lesson. I had a lot of them, and <laughs> um, and in that first year and first two years of academy, I'm almost certain that first year of academy went on to Irish twenties, which I'm sure you'll touch yeah. on in a minute. Yeah. I'm sure Mike Ruddock thought I was awful, like mid, like like so unorganised, and the, but those two years were two years where actually I made me realise that. If I am to do this, these things have to change, and like I, I, I do think well they have changed. That there are there are things now that that I am um, that I look back on and, and sort of laugh at and think flip high and earth was I doing some <laughs> of that stuff. But like um, but but I do think that the, those key elements that that make someone a good professional, I needed to learn. And in those first that first year, eighteen months of the academy, I definitely definitely learned them.
0: Right, so it's an important point. So, I mean, before we move to the Irish 20s and um, the subsequent debut and stuff after that, here's a question for you then, because... When you're in the academy, Handy, right? You get judged pretty quickly. We know guys who came in and got spat out the system really quickly. You were lucky that you had well, not lucky. You you worked you worked your socks off handy. Like there's no doubt, there's no doubt about it. You worked, you've worked for everything you've got, but you learnt your lessons quickly enough. That that's how I would put it. At what stage do you think that you know you're judging some people too early? Because you see in England, particularly in Ireland, you see in England there's a lot more people who come through these kind of curve systems so you've got the likes of your Don Brands who I mentioned uh, too much in this podcast you've got your um your Mark Thomas who's at Worcester now he's a loosehead who um has been like through this weird turbulence journey of professional amateur all sorts of rugby in Irish rugby is it is it unfair to say that if you don't go through an academy there's very few people who do go on to be professional rugby players or do we allow for the Ian Hendersons who maybe didn't learn his lesson when he's 20 or 21 but has the clear capacity to go and be a British and Irish Lion that you did have?
1: I do think that that pathway through not going through the academy you do see less and less people coming through that way. There might have been a couple that came through Craig Gilroy in your year. Yeah. He went off and played it wasn't really in their 20s, went off and played Dungan and lit the world on fire and came through that way. That's probably, yeah. that's maybe a slightly hybrid version. People like Andy Warwick, maybe. Um, yeah. again well, well, Andy
0: Warwick went away and then and came back in, but he did serve time in the academies. I'm talking about, the, academy, yeah. <clears throat> the one that sticks out with me in an Ulster context is probably Chris Henry. Chris Henry, like, uh, I'm not sure about his involvement in academies as such, but he had to go away and serve years at Malone in all Ireland rugby before he even got brought into some of the games and he went on to become like well a bit of an Ulster legend if we're honest like as a player you I think sometimes fans don't appreciate what Chad did at Ulster but he was he was the glue at times when I was there he was the most hard-working bloke he was brilliant off the field as we both know but he was the glue around the place and for me he came into rugby that almost in the back door professional rugby
1: Fortunately, I'm still very close with Chad, and, and fortunately, Chad was around when I was younger. He was definitely one of the – stand. when I think of a player as a standout player who brought me through yeah. from when I was a young academy kid into becoming a, a senior player, he would be definitely right up there, maybe the top of the list of, of the ones who looked after me. Um, and I do think it's, it's frustrating that, that some guys slip through the net, and he's not the only one who slipped through, or he's not the only one who nearly slipped through that. There are other examples, and there I'm sure there are guys out there who just haven't got there um, or just haven't maybe adapted quick enough. Um, and You mentioned lucky there. I 100% think a lot of players who break through break through with a bit of luck. I was incredible. And, like, and you said, oh, New York, like you're for... I was incredibly lucky at the time.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and for the opportunity I got for my first cap for Ulster, and that especially that, was the start of that 2012 13 season. There were injuries, Stevie Ferris was injured, and um, Willie Falloon was out injured. And those were and there was an opening in the back row. There was a couple of second row yeah. injuries, too. And then me and me, oh, he can cover second row and backer, we'll stick him on the bench instead. And mm. if those couple of guys hadn't been injured, I very easily could have had a year, uh, another year in had him in development, I and mean, went, you know what, sack this off. And, th- yeah. th- and that happens, players, and that happens, boys. And um, there's there's a good example, a player who was in the academy there for a few years, Johnny uh, young scrum half called Johnny shirt I thought Johnny Shear was excellent in class. And he essentially made his own decision to say, you know what, this isn't for me. Yeah. Um and, and that's that's fully all right too. Like I said, do things that you're enjoying. if you're not enjoying, not accelerating or progressing loads, it, it mightn't be necessarily be for you. And johnny's incredibly intelligent I man. no matter what he was into i think he will excel
0: um, i just think that the term the term using the term lucky you know in in a podcast that's based on high performance sometimes lucky can can i think the term lucky can just degrade all the sacrifice and hard work that you did make but there's no doubt and i'm I agree with you you know people benefit from injuries and you have no control over when you're injured or not well you've a limited control of whether you're injured or not. Um, so to, to, to say you've got where you are through luck feels a little bit of unjust for me because I was there whenever you were getting up at 6 a.m. when you didn't want to, when we were in the gym and we were our hands were sticking to the bars. There's nothing lucky about that, that was just you doing something like we know you're one of the worst people I've ever met in the mornings so like you made a conscious decision to get out of bed and go and do it so there is elements of luck I just I think it can be disingenuous to to, to put it down to that but I think if we if we kind of leapfrog then to that most people will think your Ulster career started with that uh, first start against Munster where you scored that great try bundling off Zeebs and whatever and it was it was amazing but for me there was a point where I thought you had the potential to go um, the whole distance if I'm honest I remember saying it about probably not far after we'd finished the Junior World Cup that you had the potential to go the whole way because the Junior World Cup in Italy that was the point at which I kind of stood back and was like Mate, that kid like Hendy was on you and Tag Furlong for me were the two best players in our whole team I, I massively underperformed there was a few other players in their second year second year syndrome which gets a few people in 20s they underperformed to where they need to be as a se- as a senior player in underage rugby so for me at that stage, I thought like, he's got everything. Like you were throwing English to tw- players around the place. You were matching the South Africans. Etzebeth was in that team. Khaleesi was in that team. You were one of a handful who were matching them. So it didn't surprise me when we leapfrogged to that monster experience. But at which point in your early career did you think, I want a bit of this? Like, okay, I'm now a year or two into this. Um, I'm working towards that monster that monster game, or maybe it was before. But at what point did you go like, nah, Dad, thank you for giving me that advice. I want a bit of this. This is for me.
1: Genuinely, it was probably post that 20s World Cup. I didn't really enjoy the 26 nations. Um, I'll happily say that. That 20s World <laughs> Cup, I got the opportunity to sh- to start. I got the opportunity to play. I felt I was playing well. And from then on in, I felt that probably a bit more confidence in myself that when I was playing or I did get an opportunity for Ulster A or training with the seniors, like I was like... A, in my head, there was a huge gap to be filled, a huge a huge void between Ulster Rugby senior players and where I was at. And I think that 20 World Cup, maybe in my head, just sort of said, you know, that void actually isn't that big. I could maybe jump across that void. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then I, and then I probably, from there, I threw myself into it. And very quickly, you know how quickly the season comes around. We're back in the 20s again, and I become one of those more senior players in the next 20s team. And the, the opportunity to train with the seniors and put yourself alongside people who you in your head had a pinnacle beforehand and then say, mm. you know what, I'm actually alongside you here. And when I take a step back and look at it, I think I can be better than you. And it's, it's, it's having not an outward um confidence, but an inward word with yourself to say, you can either let him do what he's doing or you can go after that and you can. Yeah really chase him down and get after
0: him so do you think do you think andy like people can misperceive i'm not sure it misperceives a word people can (laughs) people can perceive your chilled laid-back attitude for actually uh like you're hugely driven, more competitive than you let on. Do you think that people can almost think, you know, in the early years when you were there, they were like, "Does this kid want it?" But actually, in, internally, with your inner voice, the, the conversations you're having with yourself sound completely different to that.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I actually kind of, I kind of liked people thinking that I, that I, I didn't care. I knew how much I cared, but I, when people yeah. were like, "Oh, he doesn't care," he doesn't. I was like, "Well, you think that, but..." When it comes to it, I'll show you how much I care. Um, yes. Or I know chatting with with a lot of the senior players, who were very senior then later on in my career, they they all got that. But when it came down to when it mattered, when it was in games, that was when they saw that, that I could perform and they could. I I showed that I cared. Then. Yeah, it was probably that was probably earlier on in my career when I didn't understand the value of showing that you cared. Or awesome so um, playing
0: the game we we know plenty of players who who are fantastic at playing the game in terms of uh creating this persona that they're they you know we all know what what it's like in professional sport and professional rugby there's a lot of people who create the illusion that they're you know doing everything and trying really hard and blah 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 but then they don't have the ability to go and back it up did you think you had to go through a process of learning how to play that game
1: yeah one of my... Well, one that sticks out right in my head, I, up in the White House at New Forge, and academy one-on-one, and Niall Malone was there. And you know, Niall is as frank as anyone can be. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, he said, we've got a problem with you. And and I was like, oh, God. I was like, this is going <laughs> like, the worst way at a one-on-one. Might have, been, might have been my first year in the academy. I think it was. He said, we... And then he took it, he paused for a second and said, We usually have a problem with players. They train like Tarzan and play like Jane. And he went, It's the reverse with you. You look like you don't care about the place, you train terribly, you you can't wait to get off the pitch. You don't turn up on time. But when you turn up to play, you play, you play very well. And he yeah. said, that, that that for us, it's a it's a in the grand scheme of things it's a nice problem to have but it's a problem nonetheless and I remember sitting there being like I suppose he's kind of right like when it, comes <laughs> to the game, when it comes to a game I know I'm going to perform but I, know that. I... and that, that was something that I probably it took me a, a good few years after that to really turn really try and turn that around
0: Yeah so the Irish camps surely are an opportunity we, we moved segue slightly smoothly on there to those first Irish camps and then I suppose, you know, topping it all off in 2012, November test, you make your debut against South Africa. And I think surely those Irish camps are are the point at which you cannot fake it anymore. You can't pretend like you're enjoying training. You can't because... It's it's like senior international camps. It, it, they're, they're recording everything. They're judging everything. And by that stage, you're in. You've you've bought into the dream of being a professional rugby player. You want it. You're more introverted about your determination and how much you do than, than extroverted, which is perfectly fine. But you can't hide it in Irish camps, handy. So, how do you start to try and manage yourself through those towards but getting your first cap?
1: Again, I got I got my first cap through a few good guys who been injured um i was in camp i didn't when i first got in the camp deck and met with me it's like we're bringing a few young guys in we're going to see how you are going see how you are trucking along and um, it was probably the first time i'd been thrown in with a load of new players like when you're in the academy you see the seniors there you train with them bits and pieces you pass in the gym the physio room yeah. you get to know them gradually as you get into it with an irish camp it was like right Four problems, just stick them together, there you go, you're all best mates, let's get going. And that was probably, that That probably sparked more in me, that, that you had to, like, I don't know, these guys have to prove, some of them, they think I'm just this. And um, Unfortunately for me, I think, I have the number 12 or 13 in my head, Ulster players in that specific squad, there's loads from from Dan Toohey, to Declan Fitzpatrick, to Paul Marshall, all all the other ones that you, that would have been there as well, like Chad, Rory, Best, um, Tommy, trump so many of them, KV. Uh, so that actually made that transition a lot more easy for me. I had a, yeah. a large base of people, and I, I do feel there's some times that I would see going into Ireland camp sometimes now, guys who would come in mightn't have a lot of their home guys in yeah. home province. Eric O'Sullivan a good example of one who's just came in there and got his first cap that, uh, recently for Ireland. And there were only be three or four Ulster players in there. And I, I do think that I can fully understand why that would be a, a relatively daunting environment to be in, not knowing anyone. And the last, like, you, you've got so much on your plate to, to get over. You've all your line your attack calls, your day get over. Never mind getting the meetings on time, mingling with people, ensuring you're performing a training, Um talking to coaches that you've never spoken there's so much you're under so much pressure so the more you can ease that player's pressure make him feel more at home make him sit back and actually enjoy the experience rather than being stressed out and anxious about it 24-7 I think is massive and looking back that was a massive thing for me in that first camp having those other players there made me feel a lot more comfortable even though I hadn't known them for a huge length of time prior to that Um. But going into that and then hearing actually, funny enough, I got my first cap and swapped jerseys with Marcel Kutsey, He was the number twenty. First of oh, all, We swapped jerseys and obviously have gotten to Mars really, really well now. Um, yeah, it's
0: crazy that you meet him so many years later, become good teammates, and probably good mates with him.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's so bizarre. It's one of those things again. Like you said at the start, like there's someone playing and has us all as, as puppets.
0: Man, that's why we we have the I have the same thing. There's you know from the. Um, the twenties World Cup we went to, there's a handful of guys that we played against there who I'm actually playing with now. Guy Nick there's Sh- Nick There's actually one. There's actually one. Yeah,
1: Richard um was out in the beer for his dad.
0: Peter and, and Sue Shawner, like they are two of the best people in the world. And 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 you see that you should see the pictures they have of of uh, all the lads drinking with those two. And then years later, Sharky, as he's known, Nick Shawner and I joined Worcester at the same year. It's just such a small world. Um, and it's nice that you can kind of touch with the touch base with these people years after you're competing with them, you know.
1: I know it, 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 that's probably one of the nice things that you see happening in in smaller amateur clubs, and it, it does happen. It does happen at, at, up towards the top levels too. Definitely, people's paths crossing and, and interweaving, interweaving through careers, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean, so let's let's touch on that uh, that South African de- game, your debut um, nerves. In the build-up, were you pretty chilled? Um, you're a pretty chilled person in general, but what was the build-up like for you? And do you remember walking, like, running onto the pitch and any any kind of significant thoughts?
1: I've had a few thoughts uh, prior to this um, about people running onto the pitch. Obviously, you're incredibly nervous. Um, <laughs> massive deal for you. Massive deal for your family. Everyone you've played with all this. And I've always thought, like, there's bound to be at some stage someone's going to just like faint, run onto the pitch. Imagine. And my, or, like, trip, like, or trip or trip or something like that and like it's gonna it, if it hasn't already happened it's going to happen soon um, or at some stage and that so that's ran through my head whenever I'm doing stuff like that before <laughs> uh, but no it was great actually I, I ran on the pitch with Big Donners and yeah. we came on at the same time and he has this I'm sure probably sure you've noticed he has this thing about running on to and off the pitch at top Fast speed as
0: well yeah
1: And so I'm standing there like waiting to come on the pitch and then they're like right that's you and then Donner tears off away and like takes off where's my run over so I've done like a 50 metre sprint and I think Ryan was actually playing that day too for South Africa and he came on he's like ah Hindi and then like I was like, oh, I wrote, like all nervous and he's like sitting as chilled as he ever is and like I just had to really try and really enjoy it. They ended up winning that day, um, but it was—I must say—it was a really enjoyable day. There were a few first caps then. I think Richard Strauss got his first cap. Uh, uh, Michael Bent too. Maybe yeah. even Dave Kilcoyne. Cool um, right. But it was—it was a really good day. And again, really thankful for that that opportunity to experience that with with different those different people.
0: Yeah, tell me, is there is there an initiation uh, when you make your cap for Ireland? Maybe you can't can't say, but there's definitely one with England where you end up having a drink with every single uh, member of the squad. Is it similar?
1: Yeah, um, every member of the squad buys you a drink and you drink you drink it together. Um,
0: you get some good people and some dickheads, don't you? You'll get some... Don't Ryan that. ruined me. Donnaker <laughs> Ryan
1: ruined me. He was, uh, he was the end of... Well, not the end of um
0: But You've got hollow legs as well. We'll get to that later
1: somebody i can't remember who it was i thought it was Kean healy but i asked him recently and he said it wasn't someone bought a bottle of red wine and was like "Here, there's your bottle of red wine here's mine and he penned i'm trying i can't remember who it was and penned it and i was like
0: yeah is going to happen to me tonight <laughs> someone just put me in bed just make sure i get to bed
1: <laughs> yeah no it was it was great that, that we ended up it was done so obviously there were a good few first there were three or four first caps four first caps and so there would be like five bottles of wine, the per the, the 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 guy who bought them, and then one for everyone else. And it was, was like, I bet yeah, I they weren't a fancy get...
0: bottle of red, though. It was like the house Merlot or something, was it?
1: just the cheapest bottle they could
0: get. 100%. He's buying five or six of them, there's no chance he's buying the fucking 19 Crimes or any of those fancy uh, ones
1: yeah no um it was it was the very i think it was a variation of all the drinks some people were nice and even at that like when i when i when i've done it to other people i want to be nice but then you're like oh, nah and i just i just can't do that. <laughs> i can let you away with that
0: nah it's not in you mate i've drunk with you before and it's not in you you uh <laughs> like i said hollow legs so we um So i keen to touch on something before we move. Obviously, Paul O'Connell has been announced this week, uh, or or I think it was the tail end of last week, as the new um, forwards coach. So... I'm imagining, and I'm not putting words in your mouth. Tell me if I'm wrong. But when you first went into camp, he probably had a big influence on you uh, in terms of your ability. Now that you're a, you're a full lineup caller, um, Colin probably wasn't something you came into professional rugby uh, with the ability to do. Again, correct me if any of this is wrong. Um, but his influence on you, I can imagine, was quite big. So moving forward with um, him now coming back into the setup, you must be excited to get back working with him again.
1: Yeah, I've been within the course of the last week I've been chatting to Paulie a couple of times already and um, he's really keen to get back involved I think he, he's got a mad love for rugby and a even mad or weirder love for line-outs um, <laughs> but but it's great to have him on board I love playing with him I hated playing against him um, and that's something that I that always sticks out in my head that's one of those questions that always comes up who's the toughest player I've ever played against and yeah. There's a there's a load of generic questions, but he is he is mine. Probably first, probably not from the first time I played against him, but then when I played with him, and then you realise how destructive um, he is for you and constructive for his own team, um, and then you see that and you see it actually unfolding in a game when you're playing against him. So he for that for that reason, that's why I hated and loved playing with him. But it's yeah. great that someone like that on board. Someone, especially the younger lads to look up to. I know from when I didn't call line outs, how helpful he was for me for putting pressure on me to, to do stuff and get stuff right. Um, yeah. In terms of calling, I think I probably didn't necessarily learn to call off one person in particular. It yeah. um, probably be a large mixture of...
0: You've had some brilliant, you've had some brilliant Johann,
1: teachers though. Yeah, Johan Miller, Paul O'Connell, um, probably Dan Tui a bit as well, Dev Toner, a g- guys, a good man, a Demmer, like, like, a lot of good guys, and, and to, to, to pinpoint one of them, has been that's who I've learned it from, would be wrong. Yeah. I think I've yeah. definitely picked up different bits along, along the way. And he's now, we've got Sam Carter at Ulster, who's an incredible line caller, and, mm learning from him all the time as well and I, and I think that's something that has become more prevalent in, in me now is that you're, you can't ever stop learning you have to continue to adapt and, and change what you're doing otherwise you'll become stale and, and null and void
0: hundred percent that growth mindset is is a, a trend in all the high best high performers and it's a term that's kind of banded around a lot and stuff but the growth mindset looks like just constantly trying to improve yourself so your improvement in the lineouts has been huge um you were always a brilliant jumper but your ability to go and call there you're right you kind of pick up these little bits and i when i when people ask me about that you know like I, I learned so much off someone like rory best in my early years but then you you do like mix that pool of people like gus creevy and whoever else is big influences so i can See that in in your play, handy. But I think through those Irish involvements, like you've got, you know, high fifty caps. You've had a a, br- a brilliant career to date with loads more uh, in the tank. Some of your best times, you've had some great success with multiple coaches. um I think when you have those really big highs, does that inspire you and drive you to to constantly want more of them?
1: I think if anything. When I have the highs, it reminds me of frustrations of why I haven't had them at other times. When you have a high, like like winning something or winning a game away from home, like there's a few games. Most of my best memories of games are winning away games in England and in, in, in European Cup, like winning away at Leicester or away at the Stoop. Like yeah. those games, or or away at Saints, like those games there are some of the, my like best memories for Ulster. Like, when you're crammed in a terrible changing room, and it's a terrible night. The one against Harlequins in my head it was snow snowy one? night. The snow yeah. one, like like those are games that like I look back on, and I'm like like those are some of my best memories. And then you and you relish those memories, and, and then you look back in other games and you're like, flip, we really dug in that night. Like why why couldn't we have dug in in this this game that we've lost? Yeah. And I suppose when, when you look at it that way and put it that plain and simple, if I had an exact answer I would fix it immediately.
0: You'd be um, the cap- you'd be the captain and the coach and best player in every team in sports in the world. It's not it's not an exact science, is it?
1: Yeah, um, try, trying to pinpoint that is something that I think you have to continually try to do. Why were we good that night? Why did we perform then and not performing this night? What did we do differently? Was our prep different? Um, you can get caught up in a lot of that. Um, you can get caught up in trying to chase things that you think have changed it but haven't. Um, but it goes back to that growth mindset about trying to continually get better yeah. rather than after something, after you win two or three good games in a row, you sit back and go, you know, we've done it, we're... Not gonna lose any more games. That's an awful mindset to have. That I think I think can slip into teams and players. Um, you see the best teams like like the Leinsters and the Saracens, who are continually driving each other. And a lot of those within those teams, there's a lot of players who are constantly pushing the other players. Yes, the team looks comfortable. This team and the standings look comfortable. But that yeah. starting team is constantly like bubbling, brimming players trying to trying to get through and and, and solidify their name in this top range team.
0: Yeah, we took we've had a few. We had a guy like Richard Wigglesworth, for example, who uh, during his time at Sarries talked about how elite performance, high performing elite performance teams are actually an uncomfortable place to be, and um, because you're constantly being challenged and challenged and challenged, and if you're not good enough gone you know you have a certain level that you have to you have to reach so I think the way you describe it there is perfect it's that constant continual um, intention to get better but I think as we look to round up that kind of aspect of of um, the Irish uh, and your progression through the Ulster into the Irish setup and stuff like do you have a pretty solid idea of what your week looks like and what you need to get done in that week to prepare yourself to go and play your best rugby do you, do you feel like you've got to that stage in your career
1: yeah we've We've got several different like week structures, um, depending on what day the game is on, depending on the time of the season, what days you're going to be training, and we'll know from a fair bit out what uh, what type so, of week we're going to have that week.
0: So I I know like we, most rugby teams have those kind of structures, but I mean more in, more individually for you. Do you have like a? I know guys who are like I have to do lowers. I have to do like a heavy lower session seven days before the game because if I do it any closer, I'm in danger of feeling a bit sore. Some boys like to make sure they're getting loads of posterior chain work done. Some people like to do, like, I personally don't throw. A lot throughout the week. I'll throw like a little bit every day and then I'll do six throws on game day and that's it. Like on the morning of a game, I throw three on either side and that's it. Because if I throw any more, I'm, I'm almost psyching myself out. The work's done. Mm-hmm. So, you personally, like say you come in on a Monday, the game's on a Saturday. Is there anything that you think, like, oh, I just got to chip this off, chip this off the next day? Because coaches are funny. Like, coaches are like, well, you have to defend them all on a Tuesday. Like yeah. is it? You know, every team does it. Every team defends them all, attacks them all, and scrums on a Tuesday.
1: Physically, not a huge amount physically, but I have a lot of things I check off in terms of maintenance, and um, in terms of yeah. my line of calling, making sure we have specific walkthroughs done in days. Yes, and sure, like like I have a, a bit of a process around if things aren't right in one walkthrough, what I want to get through the next in the next day's session, making sure that. What we get through in the week and what we have said we're going to do in meetings, I have a, I'm. A, I could get a wee bit anal about making sure that that gets done. Um. Yeah. Not so in, in that aspect, I have. I, I would be quite strict on myself about lineouts. Um. Ways I write lineouts out. Different, almost we revision sessions I have on my own, um, around the line-out and around whatever opposition we're playing, going through our plays, going through defensive points I have checkpoints like that but all my things I feel to get me ready for match week are all things like that rather than yeah. like physical gym session or physically doing something yeah. um, I I do I'm a massive believer in people being in roles for a reason um, I have put full faith in our um, athletic performance staff yeah. that that they I'm as open with them as I can be, and they're as open with me as they can be. And their sole aim is to make me feel good, come match day. And I am more than happy to be like, right, you guys are this is your job and you're really good at it. It's their so expertise. You can you can sort sort me out on that. Um, and the currently the current then um, staff have built a real good player, player staff relationship that, that that again is constantly being worked on, constantly getting feedback putting in and out and seeing what works for guys, what doesn't work for guys. Uh, again, ultimately to, to make people feel better. Yeah, That's, that's, that's a massive driving point for the Irish SNC, Jason Kaiman before almost every session you're in, he says, you're in here to A, to make you feel better and B, to make you perform better. And you're here to get better. Um, cool. and if you, if you leave a session feeling, oh, it's a bit sore and, Oh, I should have done that extra set, or should I have chopped one or two off? Like, you want to be leaving with a feeling like you've got better feeling, like, everything that you're doing in your day is to make you perform better. Come, actually.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's a great way of looking at it. It's a great, great way of looking at it. It's probably a modern per, per, kind of uh, intention with, with, with the way rugby's going, you know, because you can easily tick boxes. I hate, There's nothing I hate more than ticking a box. If someone can show me something and be like, right, this is what you've got to do. This is what we're doing today. this is why this, 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 this. But if you're like, okay, today we're doing this because, well, that's what we've done for the last 10 weeks. I'm going yeah. like, no, 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 no. This is going to kill me. So 100%. I think it's... Uh, it sounds like it's a great setup you guys have. And I think if we, if we kind of divert slightly away from the actual ins and outs of how your week looks handy, something that I was keen to discuss as well is like this, this idea of living your career in the public is quite difficult. Now, like you're on a different level to me because you are an international British Irish lion. Um, I, I already kind of have a good idea about how this com- this part of the the, the chat's going to go, and that I don't think you're scrolling through social media looking for like Tom, Dick, and Harry or Steve the plumber's perception of how you've played, right? But is it is it more difficult um, whenever potentially it's your family who are reading some things on social media about how you're how someone's giving you a rating in a newspaper who doesn't have a clue about rugby, or how do you deal with that, and how do you advise your family to deal with that?
1: Yeah, I do, I do think bringing family into things it definitely is a huge emotional driver for probably almost everyone, and yeah. uh, that's something that I would think about a lot before a game, thinking about how how would you like your family to feel about your performance? How do you okay. how do you like to be? How do you be like to be portrayed? Um, but. In regards to social media thing, I would be one, and you know me, I hate conforming to anything. I hate, like, someone telling me to do something and having to do it. And yeah. So, ironically, about a year ago, uh, or whenever that documentary came out, that everyone raved about the social... Uh,
0: oh, yes, yeah, the one on Netflix. Um... Yeah, yeah. Social, uh, dilemma. Social, social dilemma.
1: Social dilemma. Yeah, you and I looked, at it and i had been kind of looking for a reason to sack off social media. I was like, there you go. Like, <laughs> and I was like, perfect, this thing. But in it, in its show, I knew, I knew that whole show was like pointed towards social media is bad. You shouldn't use it as much. Yeah. And and in accepting that, I was conforming. So in a way that's like Kyle double
0: edged sword bit
1: exactly exactly <laughs> so but so then i reckon probably last pre pre november series or all nations cup or six nations or whatever it was called at the time so pre november pre october i reckon august august time i deleted all my social media apps haven't haven't got them back since, and i really enjoy it i'm actually um i um I'm, it's logged into her phone, and she'll occasionally put up a post for me just to kind of keep some sort of presence out there. That, that no, I that think I've it's important.
0: Of, it's it's a really it's difficult balance. Yeah, it's a difficult balance, so handy because, like, it's such a it's the way I treat social media, and this is, I mean, it's it's the truth. So I, I suppose I have to say, it, is it's a tool for me. It's not like I don't find myself scrolling through social media, looking like I don't have TikTok. I don't like I don't use it as like a form of entertainment. It's more like a tool. It's yep. more like it because you have to you have to acknowledge that there's a presence for you to have. There's a platform that you have. You being an Irish, British and Irish Lion, um, Irish International, British and Irish Lion, like you have a presence and you and you should benefit from having that presence because of of, of your stature. I'm not against that. So having so to have, like log on and keep your present out there is not a bad idea, but it's it's the so I, I struggle with this in our club a wee bit, Hendy, because we've a really young squad, right? We've got a really young, youthful squad. A lot of them have grown up with social media. So if you think about like anyone who was born in 2000 plus, right? They've grown up with social media. We've kind of uh, we've kind of adopted it, but not grown up with it. And I'm very conscious that a lot of these guys, right, say we well, we've we've lost a few games in a row, and these guys are like scrolling through social media, typing their name in to see like what Steve the plumber, as I mentioned earlier, yeah. is saying about them and their performance. It's almost like this gratification that they need from people that that um, have opinions but necessarily shouldn't matter as much as they do so i just think sometimes whenever you're you as someone who's on a bigger platform it's not going to affect you because i know you you don't sign into social media you don't but like for example richard right richard is probably present on social media in some aspects or he maybe reads a newspaper if he reads someone uh saying something about you that he, the, they don't have the inside information that you can give to Richard. Like, Oh, why did they lose that line out? Well, actually um, this is the line we planned to call in that space because we were trying to do, they don't have that information. It can be more difficult for family. So like Su- Suzanne, for example, might be present on social media and read um, someone saying that I'll oh, hand had a stinker at the weekend and they've got yeah. no idea. So how do you balance your family's perception of what that looks like?
1: My, I'm trying to think of a scenario because
0: you it don't play happen. many bad games so you're fine like you know when you play you normally play <laughs> it well
1: it does happen when some you are around the mum and dad's house for Sunday lunch and they've got the Sunday life sitting out and they're looking at the ratings being like oh jeepers look at that
0: you'd only a four or, and a half out of ten they're saying you must have had a stink and you're like I actually thought I played all right
1: um they I think probably the way I would kind of manage it not manage not that I ever feel I have to manage it they know how I feel about what everyone else says and they know, they have a good understanding that whatever anyone else says rarely, no, that it doesn't affect me because that's not true. I rarely, I try to let it rarely affect me. Um, And I think it's, I I do think that social media has a, a, like you say, it's a good tool. It has so many benefits and there's so many positives to it. Um, I do think, however, there is a lot of negatives to it. The, I'm I'm all for free speech and all whatever else, but, but the amount of people, like you say, Steve the plumber with his with his world beating ideas on who should and shouldn't be selected and and how to how to throw a line out or how to catch a line out. <laughs>
0: Does I'm he not, have some tips? Because I could do with them.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not understanding that, that people do read these, like like. Pe- and people read them, and just because they might be more in the public eye doesn't mean they're not susceptible to hmm. to um, feeling bad about it. And, and that's something I would I would often say to players: like you're allowed to feel bad about it. Like it's like when you read a comment, a lot of players have had negative. Most players have had negative comments written about them, and it's completely normal to feel like a, like a bag of shit after reading some of them. To sit yeah. there and be like, my god, but but to be able to put yourself in perspective and then. Actually, go back out of that comment. Look at that person's profile and be like, "Hold on a second, what what shoes are you in to be yeah. giving but that's me?" That's the skill, isn't it, Hendy? Advice? That's the skill. And I try, I do, I try and say that to people. Like, take a step back from it. Don't care about that. Like, like his opinion should have little to absolutely zero effect on on how you go about your day, or more importantly, how you go about your job. Like professional rugby players are professionals for a reason there's been um like i said touched on the athletic performance department at ulster there's a whole coach there's a whole series of coaches and people whose job it is to make you a rugby player that hasn't happened by mistake you're there because you're a good rugby player and to to have that undermined by people on social media is like when you take a step back and look at it, it's actually a, it seems a bit ridiculous, but it, it happens to everyone. It's happened to me before. Yeah. I've looked and I've Googled, I've typed my name in the Twitter searches and and I've read awful comments and I've been like, Maybe he's right or whatever. And you do <laughs> feel down you do feel down about it. But then you, when you get yourself out of that you're like, actually,
2: just,
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and I think probably the the one thing that I said there that I would like to get across is it's a hundred percent normal to feel like that. Like, yeah. like, like if you didn't feel like that, there'd probably be something wrong with your confidence that, that yeah. you're overconfident. That, that yeah. If it didn't
0: affect you in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You couldn't have summed up any better. handy. I think it's, it's a very important message, particularly for, like I said, we're getting on a bit now and you do see these young guys come through and they've got to be able to learn that uh, every <laughs> A good friend of mine told me opinions are like our souls. Everyone's got one. Everyone's so got one. <laughs> like, you, you have to be able to filter the opinions that you want to take on board. So I, as we, we move onwards, um, second last topic, we're going to fly through this one a little bit quicker than I'd like to, but I'm conscious of the time, Hendy. Um, the Lions Tour, right? The pinnacle of everyone's, uh, the pinnacle of every single per- professional rugby player professional rugby player's career right I want just a few questions and I want to know um, your feelings and thoughts through those moments alright because the squad's announced on the 19th of April 2017 and your name's in it where were you and what were your first feelings
1: I knew I knew squad was going to be announced I knew it was going to be on TV I was sitting in my house um, uh, watching the press conference watching the names roll up and saw my name come up actually rewind 15 minutes I was kind of cutting the grass um, and <laughs> and uh, Suzanne who cuts their written, grass but,
0: 15 minutes before the Lions are announced and
1: Suzanne goes yeah it's yeah, coming on and then I went in and sat down and was like sitting there and like genuinely it's actually, it's actually incredible Um, just sitting there watching being like I wonder is it, is it? and I it was like class and we turned around we just hugged each other and then she was like oh that's so cool that's class and then the phone started going crazy and I went Right, I've got to finish the grass here. <laughs> and then went back out. And then that was like kind of, it was the photo that Suzanne took of me. And I don't know if she put it on, or I think she must have put it on on social media. And it was a picture of me just like cutting my grass, wearing some weird old, weird old clothes, being like, what do you do? And you find out you've been selected for the lions. But like, was, I've been Had people never joked, change. Was, joked, people have joked about it with me before. And I was like, like what sort of inhuman person would leave their lawn half cut and half uncut?
0: Like I, I was just gonna say, like that. My OCD's <laughs> freaking out. Whether you're going to finish it or not.
1: know. So like, I just went out and like, it wasn't a big garden, but I was just went out and then just put our lawn finished off cutting the grass and and then came back in.
0: And so uh, I'm glad we cleared up that you um, you finished the grass because that would have freaked me out, but. Do you are you out there cutting it, you, do you have a smile on your face are you thinking about yes, the excitement massive, of everything that's like coming a, forward
1: genuinely um, I made a point I wasn't not going to I wasn't not going to finish a graph. We went out there and it was kind of it was a nice sweet moment I was just on my own Suzanne was buzzing inside her phone was going mental too and she was delighted and I was just excited it was a lovely day so it was and I was just like pushing like lawnmower pushing along and I was like just sitting and thinking flip that's nice that's come together that's a nice surprise for today. and And then later on that day, I went into Ravenhill um, and it was good to see the lads there too.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, I was as proud as Punch whenever it was announced. I, I honestly felt like I felt like I'd been selected. I was so proud of you. And I think there will have been a huge amount of people who felt the same. Talk to me about the initial meetups because I've 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 thought about this in, in the lead up to chatting to you, and like the initial meetups must be weird. You spend four years kicking the head off these people, some people you think are absolute bell ends, and then you meet them and you're like, <laughs> he's sound. He the 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 traditional ones, everybody talks about Haskell as in these like oh not Haskell, and then you meet him, and I've met him Against him, and met him. He's actually really good lad.
1: Yeah, that was actually so Hassel I ended up getting called in late because believe in a polo, obviously
0: the shoulder, yeah, got
1: injured, yeah. And um, I remember, I remember, pretty at the time being like, oh, jeepers, Haskell. I only knew him from his social media presence. I'd never met him. I'd never spoken to anyone about him. And then the first time I met him, he was like An absolute, le- like absolute legend, and we got on really, really well. I still like it on with him really well on tour um, and I, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed his company um, and that was kind of a massive surprise. Those initial meetups, they're weird, they're really weird, like, but good, everyone's being over, overly polite, everyone's shaking everyone's hand, <laughs> nodding each other, how are you doing? And then like, and then you go into one room and then you, get fitted for this and then you walk back out and you pass the same person again oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: have you had
1: and the blazer like, done uh, yet <laughs> <laughs> oh god so much of this stuff isn't it? <laughs> and then like it's you, it is as you would imagine it would be um, kind of funny and then you see someone you know and then you like and then the small talk starts it's like oh it's the first time you are playing the weekend that was a tough game uh, how's the body is the body all right or, and you and all the formality questions get ticked off. But then it probably didn't get normal until you have your first training session together. After you going to say, uh, is, it,
0: is it training or is it your first uh, social event, like maybe a couple of beers or something?
1: Uh, your social event, I think training opens you up to like a small window of people. And then when you're at a social event, it opens you up to whoever you happen to be drinking with at that stage, no matter irrespective yeah. of who that person is. Um. Which I think that there's 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 like everyone in a rugby environment knows how much that matters. Yeah. However, there's there's no like definitive evidence as to why that happens. I don't think um, you, can't quantify,
0: you can't quantify. You uh, can't quantify scientifically, or or you can't. It's not tangible how much. Um, socializing whether it's w- with drink or not drink you know some people don't drink but have like so for example the best example is Donica like Donica never touched a lick in his life but if, if he was at a social event he was still the center of attention he was, party, yeah. he was still the life in the soul but it's that it's that bonding or that socializing away from rugby you know
1: 100% and I think the more you do that the more you buy in the, and this probably comes back like like I said earlier about the you're doing it for like a thought in your head is doing it to ensure that you're, you're doing your family pride. Yeah. And the more you get to know someone, you want to do more for them. Like you don't want to let them down. Well, that's definitely, I think in a lot of rugby players minds, you don't want to let people down. You know not yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to, um, your friends, your, your people who mean the most to you in life. You want to do the best you can for them. And the more you get to know someone, whether it be through your social piss up or, or spending more time with them or whatever you may do. That's why I think the best teams are the tightest teams, because those players are gonna like work their asses off for each other because is your is your one of your best mates? You're not gonna let him down. I mean, like you can't let him down. And that's why that's connections. why it's so so key.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's the beauty of what the Lions is. So uh last two questions on the Lions, Hendy. Um Joe Marlar speaks candidly in his book, The Head. Um I actually listen to the audiobook rather than reading it because I'm lazy, but really, really good book. And um, when he discusses some of the stories from the Lions Tours, he speaks very candidly about yourself and Bestie, and um, which I can completely agree with. Like I said earlier, hollow legs, um, are those some of the best memories, or is it the winning games that that, that stand out for you personally?
1: It's a, it's, a, it's definitely a mixture, um, and and there were like low points too. There are times you're you're like when you're out in tour and I was thinking, like, what? Like This is supposed to be amazing. This is supposed to be the best time ever. This isn't that enjoyable. And then before you know it, you're in the game and you're like, flip, this is the best time of my life, this is the best rugby, yeah. this is the best crack I've ever had. And similar to the social media thing, it's okay. It's normal to feel like it. It's normal to have emotional highs and lows. Yeah. No matter what happens when you're away from your family. I was due to be getting married two or three days after I got back from the Lions tour. There's a there's an external stress of that happening at home, like so much stuff going on, and like a guy was like the other side of the world, yeah. Um, potentially out like in the beer, Suzanne trying to ask me a serious question because it's two, two in the morning where I was. She was in the middle of her day planning stuff, and like that—that that was a whole like different sort of Stressor. scenario. I felt yeah. like almost like I was living like two lives. When I was in one, when I was in New Zealand, and then the other one, like trying to throw in, and unfortunately mm. managed to come out. She she's actually out for six days or something like six days or something like that in New Zealand, but it was class. I see them, but there, there are massive highs and lows. Um, obviously, not getting selected for the for a, a test game was was like that was pretty gutting for me. But similarly, there was another twenty guys in the school who hadn't been selected, yeah. and we. We all, we all enjoyed each other's company, and through that common disappointment—that's the perfect word I'm looking for—the the common disappointment that we all shared, we had great crack together, and and like and made some of memories that equal some of the high points of the tour. Um, which which I suppose, like, I you know, me, I'm like the last person to start like bumming rugby or all that but that's what rugby is all about like that's no worries, kind of like
0: right.
1: a, it sounds like such a pothole thing to say but like it is like it, it is yeah. that's just that's, that's why I enjoy playing
0: rugby like you do the same thing whether you're playing for the British and Irish Lions in New Zealand or whether you're playing for Academy on a Saturday 100%. it's all about you know uh, playing playing the match giving everything you got and then socialising and connecting with people afterwards
1: yeah 100% and I, and I, and I think that's why that that's a, that whole theme I was saying there about why people play rugby, and and, and I think it's um it's one of the best. I think it's definitely one of the best parts, if not the best part of the rugby.
0: Okay so the last question on the lines higher lows you talked about them where does the draw of the series sit um for you personally you've touched on the selection which i know will be a low and it'll be a driver for the next one um fingers crossed you're in the mix because you've got so much to give out there but in terms of the actual result being a draw does that sit as a higher or low because i know historically i mean historically on paper it's a it's a it's a result it's a high but Being a competitive sod that I know you are, being part of an organisation which is um, historical and based on winning tours, where does it sit?
1: Is it allowed to sit in like a middle zone?
0: (laughs) You can't sit wherever you want. It's your (laughs) podcast, mate.
1: Because there were to lose the first game, and then to continue on in the faster that it's the next two. Was it's incredible. It's like it's it's so good to do. Like, so it will be so easy to lose that first game and roll over and be like,
2: yeah, you know,
1: we've got to win two in a row now and actually go out, win the next one, and come as close as you can to winning the winning the following one. Um it's so impressive. And so, just take a step back and look at it that way. It should be a high. It should be like yeah. that's a real achievement to do that, especially against a team like New Zealand, it's just one of the, like the best team probably close to the height of their performances um, and to do that um. then similarly like I remember looking afterwards looking at the the podium being like weird like what on earth is going on
0: here they're all like that
1: they're all like looking at each other and Hugging each other and
0: yeah, Karen Reed Madden and um um Warburton wasn't it Karen Reid and yeah. Warburton was the weirdest thing, they were both so uncomfortable. Two of the highest performing players uh, in rugby's history, and they're both just like oh this is uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, like I I I was like pretty pissed at the time actually. I was like watching it and I was like, <laughs> What? Like I kind of that kind of took a wee bit of the emotional, and I actually found it a wee bit, not funny, but I was like looking at it and, like what on earth was going on here?
0: It's weird. It was weird.
1: It was weird. It was odd. But like, but that was all. That was fine. And we again, everyone ended up socializing afterwards, and it was like it was great. Like, yeah. I, and we had a few days out there afterwards so that were were again some of the high points of the high points of the of the whole tour.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. We'll talk about them off air because I'm not <coughs> sure they're for podcast ears. But I think um. Last topic, and we're going to cover this uh, relatively quickly because I've taken too much of your day already, Handy. But the last topic is it's one left. that every rugby player goes through, every professional sports player goes through, and it's the topic of injuries and I've had my fair share of times spent out on, on the physio bed and I know you have too but I think it's an important conversation because people who listen to this will either either be people in high-performing environments or just fans of rugby and other sports and to try and give some context on what goes through um, elite athletes' minds when they're out injured, either short-term, long-term or, or, or uh, in even longer term in terms of having to retire. We've known players who've had to do that. I think it's important to try and provide some context. I mean, you've had had your fair share of injuries you've also played and um, you've played nearly 200 first class games uh, first class I mean professional games if you combine all your Ulster um, Irish caps and the Lions games which I know don't count as test caps but they're obviously hugely um, hugely high performing games so you've played a lot of rugby but you've had your fair share of injuries how do you process the the idea of being injured or injured again in your mind
1: honestly I think getting injured for me, has become more difficult as my career has gone on, and I think that's maybe because similar to what we talked about earlier on, like you become more invested. I've put a lot more, I put a lot more into training and the preparation for a game now, and I put a lot more emphasis on that. And I think that that and that has made getting injured a lot more difficult um, yeah. because you know how hard you've worked to get to that point or to play in that game, um, and that makes it like. More gutting when you get injured. I definitely think it does. And um, obviously, everyone can tell you it's part and partial. Like it, uh, uh, it's going to happen. It's it, no matter what. Um, no matter what, when you play with, there are very few, very few players other than Dev Toner who don't get injured. Good. <laughs> <That's> um, <true. laughs> sorry, Dev. Uh, <laughs> uh, who, um, who? Who? Go through a whole career with very very little injuries mm. Um what the way i go about it is you obviously you're got it for the first while and then you've got to go and get scans and you've got to have many many people ask you the same question over and over again your whole injury process is the toughest thing i find about the recovery and rehab processes you back running yet <laughs> oh good you're good well, how's it how long are you going to be when are you going to be fit like i'm like and I know it's it's the best with the best intentions, but it's that question twenty times a day, thirty times a day, and and that I find that harrowing. <laughs> yeah. But but I, the way I try and scope out my injuries is you're allowed, and like I've said about two other things, you're allowed to be pissed. Like it would be abnormal if you weren't pissed off about it.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: That's about accept. It's having a way of accepting that and and understanding that. That's okay. I'm allowed to be like that. Um, what can I do about it next? And whether or not that's your scan, finding out about your scan, what steps of rehab you've got to go through. Um the ulcer physio who I've worked most closely with him and this guy called Chris McNichol. I'm not sure if you've ever come across him. He's brilliant. Okay. He knows he knows that whenever he says something to me, right, we're gonna get do this and we'll get running in three weeks' time, I will sit. my first question will be what about two and a half weeks or what about two weeks Can like where can where can I shave off a week here or where can I shave off even if it's a session like we're going to run you next Monday can we actually do it on Friday instead
2: yeah. or
1: can we do it a couple of days earlier and he knows that I that's my sole thing is like I I don't like getting I don't like being asked the question of when I'm getting back um, I want this to stop yeah um, and and I want my body to get. I you want your body to be at full health and, and like that. Again, that's a normal thing. It's a, a it's normal to be frustrated and injured. Like nobody, nobody wants to have broken parts of their body. Like like, and and I, the more people understand that and, and, can, and can and can and can for want of a better term, like be at one with that. I like, I hate that term, but but the more. You feel like like it's acceptable, it's normal, and there's also a spectrum of players. Some of them will get injured once in their career, some of them will get injured 30 times in their career. You are on that spectrum somewhere, and you do not, unfortunately, like you said earlier, within certain parameters, do not get to choose where you fall on that spectrum, and um, you might be one of those guys Unfortunately, you get lots of injuries fortunately you don't get many injuries um, and that's not for you to decide the collisions at which you um, the, the collisions at which you take the grand on the grand scheme of things generally aren't on your terms like you, you yes you run into contact but but the, the ones that injure you you don't try and injure yourself um, no. so again you're on that you're on that that sort of spectrum of I don't get injured a lot or I get injured a lot, um, and unfortunately, I am. I, I know I'm one of those players who, who gets injured. I'm in the in the the top half of that spectrum who gets injured more often than not, and um, it's incredibly frustrating. But I, I've ac- I've accepted that, and I'm, and what I try to do is, is minimise the amount of time I'm out for
0: absolutely so uh, I think the nature of the position you play and the way you play the game will lend itself to you having those injuries there's no doubt about it like um, when you're putting yourself in positions to carry off those like touchline rocks where there's a full defensive line coming to get you like shit's gonna happen and you're going to end up in positions where your body's compromised i think it'd be interesting to know like if you could reflect on your career so far like what's the hardest time through injury that you've had can you can you reflect on one in particular or do they all just kind of end up blending together and being like an an on an on un, an, un, like a necessarily bad baggage that you just carry anyway
1: uh i've, I've never really thought of it this way before but so I've recently done my my MCL um and post the game that I did it in, the Irish doctor said to me, Have you done that one before? And I went, I'm actually not too sure. I don't know. <laughs> and he went, What do you mean you don't know? And I was like, I've done one on before and I don't know which one it is. So the only thing about that now, I probably try not to carry any baggage with them. And that's good. And... I know, I know my hands because I can look at them and see which ones have had operations on them. Because <laughs> my fingers are an absolute mess, so they are. But, <laughs> but, um, but the likes of that, or, or if I've ever rolled an ankle and said, "Is that the one you've injured before?" And I go, honestly, no, I I'm not sure. I know, I know which hamstring I was detached because I've got a big scar. across my eyes for. um and I know which knees had cartilage taken out because there's scars from it. And which helps probably done because there's scars on. But you don't.
0: It's not like it's not at the front of your mind. You don't think or reflect back on times where it's been really hard. I think that's a positive, Henry. That just shows that you're able to. You've gone through the actual acceptance process.
1: And that you said there about times that were hard. I think I throughout my time I've I've, um, I have a good rugby life balance so when I get injured, I have a lot of distraction. My eggs aren't all in a rugby basket for me to get upset about. And um, we're going right back to the very start of what we're talking about. Like that, I feel, I feel that that, um, sort of welcome distractions. You get injured. Oh, it's actually a bit of time that I don't know if you're Jacob Stockhill, you might, I've got a few Legos in the house I have to build. That's a fair <laughs> bit of time I could put into that or, or whatever, whatever else people Gilly, sure, You're building houses, aren't you? if you're Gilly you're building houses or if you're Jack McGrath you're back down to Dublin to look after your bees. or, (laughs) or the guys have good it's good to have the good guys have good interests outside of rugby
0: so what are yours what are you doing last question Andy what are you doing away from rugby so that in in five to six to seven years time when you're ready and it's time to call quits what are you looking to try and move into do you have an idea or are you working on that
1: um working on it. Um it changes regularly. Um there's times that, that that I say flip, wouldn't it be nice to be able to just like total log and, and just keep yourself taken over with um a regular daily job, like nothing really specialized and then just like kind of be as free as you want. But I don't think that works for a lot of professionals because we are high um we are highly strong, high driven people that that's a reason you become a professional or that's part of the reason why you're able to get to that yeah. level Um, I don't know part of me I like the challenge of like like currently I'm, I'm doing my finals back to the whole we didn't really touch on this the study and stuff things I'm currently doing my finals in the maths and physics degree um, which has taken a fair bit of time Uh, for one reason or another which we can get into another time <laughs> um, but but I like the thought of going, joining a business or doing something completely different and starting right from the very bottom again. Then um, and and trying trying my best to to excel at that. Like going in, I, w- I was talking to a CEO of a big company in Belfast recently, and I was talking to him about going in at a at like a like a graduate level, and um, and he said, well, they would they like the to see everyone coming in and they'll then judge you and where you're at and move you to where they think you should be. Um, I like the thought of that.
0: So not in rugby, handy. you reckon when you finish rugby, you'll move away from it. Or can we see you as a future head coach, director of rugby?
1: I don't think I'd be a head coach or a director. Maybe. Uh, no,
0: no. Andy, I don't know. I think, I think the way you've, the way you've developed yourself, the way you you come across now, it's totally different. There's and there's a certain. If you think about the really good coaches that you've played under, like they're not always like straight down the barrel, the most professional, the most like organized. Sometimes the ones that get the most out of you are the ones that are the most personable. Yeah. The ones that no, connect with you the most, the ones that can motivate you, the ones that can can make you see it from their whatever their vision is. So I don't, I don't know. I like listen here. I'm not pitching you into rugby. I'm just saying I wouldn't cut yourself out because you're you like to sleep.
1: Well, I, I think no, I do like to sleep. Um, uh, I do think that I, I, do, I do see in my life after rugby. Rugby is obviously such a a volatile sport, and and. In terms of your lifestyle um, and how I've seen so many coaches come and go and, nice. and to have a young family too, it's a lot to ask for your family. And that's something I think that, that when I look at my friends and, and other family members, it's something I'm a wee bit jealous of. Even if it's, oh, we've, what, what month are we in? the don't, don't know, January. We, um, we've booked to go away somewhere in May. I'd be like, oh my goodness! I'd love to be able to book somewhere to go away to. And I don't care where it is, but like, but like, we we don't we don't know that, or or in three years' time, I'll still be in the same job, and I'll still I'll still have my weekend off, or I'll be able to book a weekend off, and that's that's a lifestyle. Again, that might like I might get into something like that, and it might be awful.
0: You might hate it. Yeah. You might hate
1: it, but 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 that's something that that I, I don't know. And it's obviously a massive ask. Like you moved over to Western, you've made an absolute, like you've done so well over there. And should suited should you well it seems to have suited you really really well. Um, but but for me, there's a bit of a fear factor, in that because I've never left home. If you know what I mean. Yeah, um, no, I
0: get that. I get that.
1: And and that's something, probably something that's that's really intriguing but, but but probably a bit scary as well
0: yeah well no listen I re- I, I think the, the whole thing from start to finish you've given so much insight um I know you're cut you're currently navigating your way back from that 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 knee injury which I'm sure will be um well I'm not going to ask you when uh, what stage you're at because I know it'll just piss you off but I think uh you're definitely going to be back on the other side of it before you know it and I think um Mate, the insight and the, the quality of, of information you've given on high performance is huge. And I just want to say a, a massive thank you for taking the time to chat to us. Um, a massive, massive figure within the Ulster rugby setup at the moment. Um an, a, a regular Irish International and hopefully a two-time British and Irish Lion um within the next, well, depending on when the Lions tour is happening. Oh. <laughs> hopefully a, a two plus time Lions tour. Um And yeah, I just want to say a massive thank you. Great to chat and look forward to seeing you back on the pitch soon.
1: Thanks for having me, Nailer.